Our good word today is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. My, we've taken a long time to get here, haven't we? I trust, though, that as we've studied the Word of God together, you've appreciated it and you've benefited from it. There is no substitute for close, intensive study of the Word of God. You cannot spend too much time studying God's Word because the Word of God is so rich and so full and so wonderful. We've reached now the fourth section of chapter 1. You'll remember that chapter 1 describes a New Testament church for us. Paul tells us how this church was born here in chapter 1. It's an elect group, verses 1 through 5. It's an exemplary group, verses 6 and 7. An enthusiastic group, verse 8. And now verses 9 and 10, an expectant group. God's people are expecting Jesus to return. Verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. An expectant group. Now, as we began these studies a few weeks back, I pointed out that every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming of Jesus. The entire letter is just saturated with the return of Christ. Now, please keep in mind, the Thessalonian Christians had been saved just a short time, a few months, and yet Paul had taught them about the second coming of Jesus. I think that sometimes we keep our new Christians in the dark, and we shouldn't do this. We, we give them John 3.16 and Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, but we ought to give them the truths of the Word of God, especially the second coming. I want to review for you once again, because you may have forgotten or you may have missed that lesson, I want to review for you these references to the second coming of Jesus. Each chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the Lord's return. In chapter 1, it connects the Lord's return with salvation. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. An unsaved person cannot wait for Jesus to come back. The second coming of Jesus Christ means nothing to an unsaved person. So in chapter 1, it's the rapture and salvation. In chapter 2, it's the second coming of Jesus and service. The, the second coming of Christ is a very practical thing. We don't put on a white robe and go climb a hill someplace and wait for him to come back. We are waiting in verse 10 of chapter 1, but we're also working and witnessing. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What's the thing that's going to make me happy? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Paul said, I want to see Jesus and I want to go to heaven. But when I get there, the thing that's going to thrill me is going to be to see you Thessalonians there. The second coming and service, soul winning. I wonder when Jesus comes back, is anybody going to be up there because of you? We sing in one of our songs, must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty handed go? It's going to be an embarrassing thing. For a Christian to go to heaven, and the Lord Jesus is going to say, well now, uh, whom did you bring with you? Uh, who's here because of your witness? And have to hang our head and say, well, Lord, nobody. 
Why didn't you tell somebody? The Lord's warning here to us is that if you really want to be happy when Jesus comes back, start witnessing. So chapter 1, the coming of the Lord Jesus and salvation. Chapter 2, the coming of the Lord Jesus and service. Now chapter 3 is the coming of the Lord Jesus and stability, Christian stability. In chapter 3, verse 2, he said he sent Timothy to establish them in the gospel. Verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Verse 8, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. So there's stability required. Now how easy it is today for Christians to stumble and fall. It's a tremendously difficult age in which we're living. This last year in my ministry I think has been the most difficult. I cannot think of a year, perhaps my memory is not too good, but I can't think of a year that has been more difficult than this past year's ministry. It's getting harder and harder to win people to Christ. It's getting more and more difficult to stir Christians to do anything. It's becoming more and more difficult to break through the barriers. We're living in these last days when Satan is working overtime and Christians aren't working at all. And here in chapter 3, it's the second coming of Christ and stability. What is going to keep us stable in this present age? It's the second coming of Jesus, knowing he's going to come back again and straighten everything out. Verse 12 and 13, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul says you keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. He's going to come back. That'll keep you stabilized. So chapter 1 has to do with salvation. Chapter 2 has to do with service. Chapter 3 with stability. Chapter 4 has to do with sorrow. At the end of this chapter, Paul deals with those who are in sorrow. Verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now Paul's not saying here that Christians don't sorrow. Uh, we, have our, we have our sorrows. Jesus wept. He was a man of sorrows. Paul wept. The Word of God makes it clear that Christians do weep, but we don't weep like, like unbelievers. We don't have the hopeless, helpless uh, sorrow of this world. Now why? Because Jesus is coming again. He talks in the rest of this chapter, chapter 4, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. We which are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Wherefore, comfort or encourage one another with these words. So the second coming of Jesus Christ has to do with sorrow. God's going to dry the tears and, and put away the handkerchiefs and empty the graves and bring great reunion where there's been separation. Finally, in chapter 5, it's the second coming of Jesus Christ and sanctification, holy living. Verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that keeps a Christian clean? It's realizing that Jesus is coming again. Now, my little children, writes John in his first letter, abide in him that when he shall appear, we shall not be ashamed before him at his coming. Wouldn't it be an awful thing for a Christian to be found in some place of sin when Jesus comes back? Would a Christian want to be found in a lie when Jesus comes back? 
Would a Christian want to be found lazy, not paying his debts, not doing his share of the work when Jesus comes back? Would Christian husbands and wives want to be angry at each other should Jesus come back? I don't think so. I think one of the greatest encouragements to holy living is the second coming of Jesus Christ because we don't know when he's going to come back. Now, this doesn't mean that we've got to keep ourselves clean because then he won't take us to heaven. No. If we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're going to heaven. But how we're going to be treated after we get there in terms of reward is determined by how we live. And so the second coming of Jesus Christ is not just an empty doctrine in some theology book. In, in this one letter alone, these five chapters, Paul says to us the second coming of Christ is a tremendously practical thing. If a person really believes in the second coming of Jesus, then he's going to have stability, he's going to have service and soul winning, he's going to have joy even in the midst of sorrow, and he's going to have holiness in his life. Now, this being the case, we'd almost have to believe that most Christians don't believe in Christ's coming because most Christians today are not busy serving the Lord. Many are called, but few are chosen. There are very few Christians today who really have a burden for souls, even in our big churches. You can count them very quickly that have a real burden for souls who are willing to do the job of evangelism. The rest must not really believe that Jesus is coming back. Oh, they believe it with their heads, but not with their hearts. And this matter of stability. I heard today about a Christian who ought to have known better, who has just gone down the drain spiritually. I'm sorry about this. Every once in a while you hear about somebody who just is swept away by some wind of doctrine or by some wave of temptation. Why are Christians not stable today? Why are they wavering, being sucked into the world? Well, it's because they don't really believe Christ is coming back. Why are Christians today giving up in discouragement? They don't believe Christ is coming back. Why is there so much sin in the lives of church members? You know, I wonder sometimes that anybody ever gets saved. Those of us who are inside the church, when unsaved people look at us, there's not much there to attract them. We're not a whole lot different from unsaved people. My, it's terrible, the, the poor witness we give for the Lord. Oh, may the Lord forgive us. Why is there sin in our lives? We don't really believe Christ is coming back. Now, the second coming of Jesus Christ has two sides to it, two aspects. First, he's going to come in the air for his church, and this can happen at any time. This is described in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep, that is, the Christian dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, please notice that we meet the Lord in the air. He's not talking here about Jesus coming to earth. You've got to make a distinction in your Bible between these two aspects of the second coming of Jesus. The first we call the rapture. It's from this word caught up in 417. The Latin word is rapto, to catch away. So the first aspect of our Lord's return is the rapture of the church. 
when he's going to catch away all of his people into the air, and then we go to heaven. Now, this is going to usher in on earth a period of time called the tribulation. If you'll study Daniel chapter 9, you'll find out it's going to be seven years long. We're not going to go into that in detail now. We will later on. But there's going to be a time on this earth called the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. In chapter 1 of Thessalonians, verse 10, he calls this the wrath to come. Now, the Christians are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to go up to heaven to be with the Lord during this seven-year period. What's he going to do up there? Well, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to purify his church. He's going to wash out the spots and iron out the wrinkles. He's going to get everything straightened out with his church. And then when his church has been cleansed and purified, there will be that wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, at the end of the seven-year period, Jesus Christ is going to come back, not in the air, but to the earth in judgment. To keep it very simple, when he comes in the air, he comes for his church. Seven years later, he comes to the earth with his church. And this is what we call the revelation or the second coming of Jesus to earth. So when I speak about the rapture, I'm talking about that first event when Jesus Christ will take his church home and we will meet him in the air. That's 1 Thessalonians. The other event when Jesus Christ comes in judgment to the earth is described in 2 Thessalonians, especially in chapter 1. We'll go into detail in that in later studies. Now, it's interesting that verse 10 tells us that the church is delivered from the wrath to come. Now, there is going to be on this earth, my friend, a terrible time of judgment. But if you're saved, you'll never face it. Well, our time is up now. We'll talk more about this in our next lesson. This is Pastor Warren Wearsby at the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, thanking you for listening and inviting you once again to tune in that we might discover together what's the good word.